Tired of the same old podcasts every week? When you're ready for something different, come give us a shot. Greetings, we're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns sharing a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. We've covered everything from true crime, historical events and people, pop culture icons, the supernatural and occult. I like that. And legends and folklore. My favorite. We're like the Dollar Tree stuff you should know. Except completely different. No matter what the topic is, we try to make the episodes funny. Yeah, you may not want to advertise that. Our jokes aren't very good. What are you talking about? My jokes are fantastic. <laughs> hey, I get paid to laugh either way. Wait, you get paid? Check us out at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shout out to the 11 and a half people that listen to us on Google Podcasts. Wait, you said you were getting paid? Welcome in the Great Khan's Tent. History, Literature, and Storytelling. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website, on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great Hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Thank you for listening, and now on with the show. In this episode, we continue the story of the tailor with Night 32 and the story of the barber's story of his fifth brother, and go on to night 33, and the story of the barber's story of his sixth brother. Both of these brothers are seemingly different than what has been described by the barber with his other brothers. The fifth brother is clearly more courageous, going as far as fighting back against what happened to him quite competently and getting his revenge on those who wronged him, while still having the traits that resulted in his finding himself in a dangerous situation. The beginning of the fifth brother's story, where he dreams of wealth and what he shall do with it, is a common theme in folklore, where the future is dreamed but back in reality, something occurs that results in the shattering of that dream. The sixth brother's story is also different than that of his other brothers, as his form of being tricked 
is not malicious, but rather is shown as something jovial and eccentric, and his reaction to this shows how he approaches the situation using his smarts. It is only after a series of unfortunate events where others are the cause of his misfortune that causes him to suffer as he did. It is interesting to note that in the Sixth Brother story, the Barmakids are mentioned once again. However, this is an unnamed character meant to show the weird nature of the rich. Unfortunately, it is unclear on who this is based on. He clearly is not based on any of the main Barma kids, as they were already long dead, especially by the time of the Khalif al-Muntasir Billah. The only plausible explanation might be that these were their descendants from children, since there is no indication that the entire family were killed or were distant relatives. In the next episode, we will continue on with our series of Tales from Central Asia. Auzubillah minash shaitan nirajim Bismillahirrahman nirrahim In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the beneficent King, the creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master Muhammad Wasallam, and his family. Blessings and peace, enduring and constant unto the day of judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued. The Barber's Fifth Brother My fifth brother, Al-Feshahar, was cropped of his ears, O Prince of the Faithful. He was a pauper who begged alms by night and subsisted upon what he thus acquired by day. And our father was a very old man, and he fell sick and died, leaving to us seven hundred pieces of silver, of which each of us took his portion, namely a hundred pieces. Now my fifth brother, when he had received his share, was perplexed, not knowing what to do with it. But while he was in this state, it occurred to his mind to buy with it all kinds of articles of glass and to sell them and make profit. So he bought glass with his hundred pieces of silver and put it in a large tray and sat upon an elevated place to sell it, leaning his back against a wall. And while he sat, he meditated and said within himself, Wearily, my whole stock consisteth of this glass. I will sell for two hundred pieces of silver, and with the two hundred I will buy other glass, which I will sell for four hundred, and thus I will continue buying and selling until I have acquired great wealth. Then with this I will purchase all kinds of merchandise and essences and jewels, and so obtain vast gain. After that I will buy a handsome house and mamluks and horses and gilded saddles, and I will eat and drink, and I will not leave in the city a single female singer, 
but I will have her brought to my house, that I may hear her songs. All this he calculated with the tray of glass lying before him. My capital, Allah willing, will come to a hundred thousand dirhams. Then, said he, I will send all the female betrothers to seek in marriage for me the daughters of sultans and viziers, and I will demand as my wife the daughter of the chief vizier. It is the hand of Shams al-Din's daughter for which I shall ask, for I have heard that she is endowed with perfect beauty and surprising loveliness, and I will give as her dowry a hundred pieces of gold. If her father consent, my wish is attained, and if he consent not, I will take her by force in spite of him. And when I have come back to my house, I will buy ten young eunuchs, and I will purchase the apparel of sultans, and cause to be made for me a saddle of gold set with jewels, after which I will ride every day upon a horse with slaves behind me and before me, and go about through the streets and markets to amuse myself, while the people will salute me and pray for me. Then I will pay a visit to the vizier, who is the father of the maiden, with mamluks behind me, and before me, and on my right, and on my left, and when he seeth me, he will rise to me in humility, and seat me in his own place, and he himself will sit down below me, because I am his son-in-law. I will then order one of the servants to bring a purse containing the pieces of gold which compose the dowry, and he will place it before the vizier, and I will add to it another purse, that he may know my manly spirit, chivalry, and magnanimity, as well as my scorn for worldly things and excessive generosity, and that the world is contemptible in my eye, and when he addresseth me with ten words, I will answer him with two. And I will return to my house, and when any person cometh to me from the house of the vizier, I will clothe him with a rich dress, but if any come with a present, I will return it. I will certainly not accept it. My house will be splendidly decorated. Then, on the night of the bridal display, I will attire myself in the most magnificent of my dresses. My servants will then be told to dress me suitably, and when they have done that, I shall order them to arrange for the wedding ceremony, and sit upon a mattress covered with silk, and recline in a robe of brocade, looking neither to the right nor to the left, because of the greatness of my mind and the soundness of my understanding. And when my wife cometh to me like the full moon, decked with her ornaments and apparel, I will command her to stand before me as stands the timid and the abject, and I will not look at her on account of the haughtiness of my spirit and the gravity of my wisdom, so that the maids will say, O our master and our lord, may we be thy sacrifice, this thy wife, or rather thy handmaid, awaiteth thy kind regard, and is standing before thee. Then graciously bestow on her one glance, for the posture hath become painful to her. 
Upon this I will raise my head and look at her with one glance and again incline my head downwards and I will do until the ceremony of displaying her is finished whereupon they will conduct her to the sleeping chamber and I will arise from my place and go to another apartment and put on my nightdress and go to the chamber in which she is sitting and I will sit myself upon the dewan but I will not look towards her. Night 33 Morning now dawned, and Shahrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the thirty-third night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shahanshah, that the barber's brother said, I shall again look down towards the ground, and I shall continue in this way until her unveiling has been completed. The barber went on. The tirewoman will urge me to approach her, but I will not hear their words, and will order some of the attendants to bring a purse containing five hundred pieces of gold for them, and command them to retire from my chamber, so that people may say, What a great-souled man this is! And when they have gone, I will seat myself by the side of the bride, but with averted countenance, that she may say, Verily, this is a man of a haughty spirit. Then her mother will come to me and will kiss my hands and say to me, O my master, look upon thy handmaid with the eye of mercy, for she is submissively standing before thee. Then her mother will come and kiss my head and my hand and say, Master, look at your servant. She wants you to approach her to mend her broken heart. But I will return her no answer, and she will kiss my feet again and again, and will say, O my master, my daughter is young, and hath seen no man but thee, and if she experience from thee repugnance, her heart will break. Incline to her, therefore, and speak to her, and calm her mind. And upon this I will look at her through the corner of my eye, and command her to remain standing before me, that she may taste the saviour of humiliation, and know that I am the sultan of the age. Then her mother will say to me, O my master, this is thy handmaid, have compassion upon her, and be gracious to her, and she will order her to fill a cup with wine, and to put it to my mouth. So her daughter will say, O my lord, I conjure thee by Allah, that thou reject not the cup from thy slave, for verily I am thy slave. Master, I implore you by Allah not to reject this glass from my hand, who am your servant. But I will make her no reply, and she will urge me to take it, and will say, It must be drunk, and will put it to my mouth, and upon this I will shake my hand in her face, and spurn her with my foot, and do thus. So saying, he kicked the tray of glass, which, being upon a place elevated above the ground, fell, and all that was in it broke, there escaped nothing, and he cried out and said, All this is the result of my pride, and he slapped his face, and tore his clothes, and the passengers gazing at him, while he wept and exclaimed, Ah, O oh my grief! The people were now repairing to perform the Friday prayers, and some merely cast their eyes at him, while others noticed him not. Some of them looked at him with pity, 
he was in the position of having lost both his capital and his expected profit. But while he was in this state, deprived of his whole property and weeping without intermission, a female approached him on her way to attend Friday prayers. She was of admirable loveliness. The odor of musk was diffused from her. Under her was a mule with a stuffed saddle covered with gold-embroidered silk, and with her was a number of servants. And when she saw the broken glass and my brother's state and his tears, she was moved with pity for him, and asked respecting his case. She was answered, he had a tray of glass, by the sale of which to obtain his sustenance, and it is broken, and he is afflicted, as thou seest. And upon this she called to one of the servants, saying, Give what thou hast with thee to this poor man. So she gave him a purse, and he took it, and when he opened it, he found in it five hundred pieces of gold, whereupon he almost died from excessive joy, and offered prayers for his benefactress. He returned to his house a rich man, and sat reflecting, and lo, a person knocked at the door. He arose therefore, and opened it, and beheld an old woman whom he knew not, and she said to him, O my son, know that the time of prayer hath almost expired, and I am not prepared by absolution. Wherefore I beg that thou wilt admit me into thy house, that I may perform it. He replied, I hear and obey, and retiring within, gave her permission to enter, his mind still wandering from joy on account of the gold. And when she had finished the absolution, she approached the spot where he was sitting, and there performed the prayers of two rakats. She then offered up a supplication for my brother, and he thanked her, and offered her two pieces of gold, saying to himself, This is a charitable gift on my part. But when she saw this, she exclaimed, Extolled be Allah's perfection. Wearily I wonder at the person who fell in love with thee in thy beggarly condition. Take back thy money from me, and if thou want it not, return it to her who gave it thee when thy glass broke. Why do you take those who love you for beggars? O oh, my mother, said he, how can I contrive to obtain access to her? She answered, O oh, my son, she hath an affection for thee, but she is the wife of an affluent man. Take then with thee all thy money, and when thou art with her, be not deficient in courteousness and agreeable words, so shalt thou obtain of her favours and her wealth whatever thou shalt desire. My brother therefore took all the gold, and arose and went with the old woman, hardly believing what she had told him. And she proceeded, and my brother behind her, until they arrived at a great door, at which she knocked, whereupon a Greek damsel came and opened the door, and the old woman entered, ordering my brother to do the same. He did so, and found himself in a large house, where he beheld a great furnished chamber whose floor 
was strewn with wonderful carpets and with curtains hung in it and whose walls were covered in hangings and seating himself there he put down the gold before him and placed his turban on his knees and scarcely had he done so when there came to him a damsel the like of which had never been seen attired in the most magnificent apparel my brother stood up at her approach and when she beheld him she laughed in his face and rejoiced at his visit then going to the door she locked it after which she returned to my brother and took his hand and both of them went together into a private chamber carpeted with various kinds of silk where my brother sat down and she seated herself by his side and toyed with him for a considerable time she then arose saying to him move not from this place until i returned to thee and was absent from him for a short period and as my brother was waiting for her there came in to him a black slave of gigantic stature with a drawn sword and the brightness of which dazzled the sight and he exclaimed to my brother woe to thee who brought thee to this place thou wildest of men thou misbegotten wrench and nursling of impunity my brother was unable to make any reply his tongue was instantly tied and the slave laid hold upon him and stripped him and struck him more than eighty blows with the flat of his sword until he fell sprawling upon the floor when he retired from him concluding that he was dead and uttered a great cry so that the earth trembled and the place resounded at his voice saying where is al-meleha upon which a girl came to him holding a handsome tray containing salt and with this she forthwith stuffed the flesh wounds with which my brother's skin was gashed until they gaped open but he moved not fearing the slave would discover that he was alive and kill him the girl then went away and the slave uttered another cry like the first whereupon the old woman came to my brother and dragging him by the feet to a deep dark vault threw him into it upon a heap of slain in this place he remained for two whole days and allah whose perfection be extolled made the salt to be the means of preserving his life by staunching the flow of blood from his veins so when he found that he had strength sufficient to move he arose and opening a shutter in the wall emerged from the place of the slain and allah to whom be ascribed all might and glory granted him his protection he therefore proceeded in the darkness and concealed himself in the passage until the morning when the old woman went forth to seek another victim and my brother going out after her without her knowledge returned to his house he now occupied himself with the treatment of his wounds until he was restored and continued to watch for the old woman and constantly saw her taking men one after another and conduct them to the same house but he uttered not a word on the subject and when his health returned and his strength was completely renewed he took a piece of rag and made of it a purse which he filled with pieces of glass he then tied it to his waist and disguised himself 
so that no one would know him in the dress of a foreigner, and taking a sword, placed it within his clothes. And as soon as he saw the old woman, he said to her in the dialect of a foreigner, Old woman, I am a stranger, and have just come today to the city where I know nobody. Old woman, hast thou a pair of scales fit for weighing nine hundred pieces of gold? If so, I would give you some of the money. The old woman answered, I have a young son, a money changer, and he hath all kinds of scales. Therefore accompany me to him before he go forth from his abode, that he may weigh for thee thy gold. So my brother said, Walk on before me. And she went, and my brother followed her until she arrived at the door, and knocked upon which the girl came out, and laughed in his face, and the old woman said to her, I have brought you to-day some fat meat. The girl then took my brother's hand, and conducted him into the house, the same which he had entered before, and after she had sat with him a short while, she rose, saying to him, Quit not this place until I return to thee. And she retired, and my brother had remained not long, when the slave came to him with a drawn sword, and said to him, Rise, thou unlucky. So my brother rose, and as the slave walked before him, he put his hand to the sword which was concealed beneath his clothes, and struck the slave with it, and cut off his head. After which he dragged him by his feet to the vault, and called out, Where is Al-Maliha? the slave girl therefore came having in her hand a tray containing the salt but when she saw my brother with the sword in his hand she turned back and fled my brother however overtook her and struck off her head then he called out where is the old woman and she came and he said to her dost thou know me o malvolient hag she answered no o my lord I am, said he, the man who had the pieces of gold, and in whose house thou performest the absolution, and, and praidest, after which, devising a stratagem against me, thou betrayed me into this place. The old woman exclaimed, Fear Allah in thy treatment of me. Fear Allah, she cried, and don't judge me hastily. But my brother, turning towards her, struck her with the sword, and clove her in twain. He then went to search for the chief damsel, and when she saw him, her reason fled, and she implored his pardon. She became distraught, and cried, Spare me! Whereupon he granted her his pardon, and said to her, What occasioned thy falling into the hands of this slave? She answered, I was a slave to one of the merchants, and this old woman used to visit me. And one day she said to me, We are celebrating a festivity the like of which no one hath seen, and I have a desire that thou shouldest witness it. I replied, I hear and obey, and arose, and clad myself in the best of my attire and my jewellery, and taking with me a purse containing a hundred pieces of gold, proceeded with her until she entered this house. When I came here, before I knew what was happening, the slave had seized me, when, suddenly, this slave overtook me, and I have continued with him in this state three years through the stratagem of the old witch. My brother then said to her, 
Is there any property of his in the house? Abundance, she answered, and if thou canst remove it, do so. And upon this he arose and went with her. When she opened to him chests filled with purses, at the sight of which he was confounded, and she said to him, Go now and leave me here, and bring some person to remove the property. So he went out, and having hired ten men returned, but on his arrival at the door he found it open, and saw neither the damsel nor the purses. He then realized he had been tricked. He found, however, some little money remaining, and the stuffs. He discovered, therefore, that she had eluded him, and he took the money that remained, and opening the closets, took all the stuffs which they contained, leaving nothing in the house. He passed the next night full of happiness, but when the morning came, he found at the door twenty soldiers, and on his going forth to them, they laid hold upon him, saying, The wali summoneth thee. They took him off, and although he pleaded with them to be permitted to pass by his house, they would not allow him the time. He promised them money, but they refused to accept it, and bound him tightly with ropes and carried him off. On the way he came across a friend of his, to whose robe he clung, pleading with him to stay with him and to help free him from the soldiers. The man stopped and asked the soldier what the matter was. The wali has ordered us to bring this man before him, and we are on our way with him now. My brother's friend asked them to let him go, promising to give them five hundred dinars, and suggesting that when they got back to the wali, they could tell him that they had not found my brother. They would not listen to this, but started to drag my brother along on his face until they brought him to the wali. So they took him and conducted him to the wali, who, when he saw them, said to him, Whence obtainest thou these stuffs? Grant me an indemnity, said my brother, and the wali gave him the handkerchief of indemnity, and my brother related to him all that had befallen him with the old woman from first to last, and the flight of the damsel adding of that which I have taken, take thou what thou wilt, but leave me wherewith to procure my food. The wali therefore demanded the whole of the money and the stuffs, but fearing that the sultan might become acquainted with the matter, he retained a portion only and gave the rest to my brother, saying to him, Quit this city or I will hang thee. My brother replied, I hear and obey, and went forth to one of the surrounding cities. Some robbers, however, came upon him, and stripped and beat him, and cut off his ears, and I, having heard of his situation, went forth to him, taking to him some clothes, and brought him back privily into the city, and supplied him with daily food and drink. The Barber's Story of His Sixth Brother my sixth brother, Shah Ghalik, O Prince of the Faithful, had his lips cut off. He was in a state of extreme poverty, possessing nothing of the goods of this perishable world, and he went forth one day to seek for something with which to stay his departing spirit, and on his way he beheld a handsome house with a wide and lofty vestibule, at the door of which were servants, commanding and forbidding, having all the trappings of authority. 
whereupon he inquired of one of the persons standing there, who answered, This house belongeth to a man of the sons of the Barmakis. My brother therefore advanced to the doorkeeper, and begged them to give him something, and they said, Enter the door of the house, and thou wilt obtain what thou desirest of its master. So he entered the vestibule and proceeded through it a while until he arrived at a mansion of the utmost beauty and elegance, having a garden in the midst of it, unsurpassed in beauty by anything that had ever been seen. Its floors were paved by marble, and its curtains were hanging around. He knew not in which direction to go, but advanced to the upper extremity, and there he beheld a man of handsome countenance and beard, who, on seeing my brother, rose to him and welcomed him, inquiring respecting his circumstances. He accordingly informed him that he was in want, and when the master of the house heard his words, he manifested excessive grief, and taking hold of his own clothes, rent them, and exclaimed, Am I in the city, and thou in it hungry? It is a thing that I cannot endure. Then, promising him every kind of happiness, he said, Thou must stay and partake of my salt. But my brother replied, O my master, I have not patience to wait, for I am in a state of extreme hunger. Upon this the master of the house called out, Boy, bring the basin and the ewer. And he said, O my guest, advance and wash thy hand. My brother got up to do this, but he saw neither basin nor jug. He then performed the same motion as if he were washing his hand, and called to the attendants to bring the table, whereupon they began to come and go as though they were preparing it. Again, my brother saw nothing. He then called out, Bring the first course, the pie, and put lots of fat on it. Turning to my brother, he asked whether he had ever seen anything more delicious, urging him again to eat up and not be ashamed. After which the master of the house took my brother and sat down with him at this imaginary table and proceeded to move his hands and lips as if he were eating, saying to my brother, Eat and be not ashamed, for thou art hungry, and I know how thou art suffering from the violence of thy hunger. Next he called forth the stew with the fatted sand-grouse. Guest, he said to my brother, start eating, for you are hungry, and you need this. Eventually he told the servant to fetch the chickens stuffed with pistachio nuts. By your life, my guest, he said, these chickens have been fattened on pistachio nuts. You will have never tasted the like before, so eat up. This is excellent, sir, agreed my brother. He kept saying to my brother, I am surprised at your lack of appetite. Don't eat too little, for I know how hungry you must be. My brother therefore made the same motions, as if he also were eating, while his host said to him, Eat and observe this bread and its whiteness. To this my brother at first made no reply, but observed in his own mind, Warily, this is a man who loveth to jest with others. So he said to him, O oh my master, in my life I have never seen bread more beautifully white than this, nor any of sweeter taste, on which the host rejoined. This was made by a female slave of mine, whom I purchased for five hundred pieces of gold. 
He then called out, Boy, bring to us the sikhbaj, and the like of which is not found among the dishes of sultans. And addressing my brother, he said, Eat, O my guest, for thou art hungry, vehemently so, and in absolute want of food. So my brother began to twist around his mouth and to chew as in eating. The master of the house now proceeded to demand different kinds of viands, one after another, and though nothing was brought, he continued ordering my brother to eat. Next he called out, Boy, place before us the chicken stuffed with pistachio nuts, and said to his guest, Eat that of which thou hast never tasted the like. O oh, my master, replied my brother, warily, this dish hath not its equal in sweetness of flavor, and the host thereupon began to put his hand into my brother's mouth as though he were feeding him with morsels, and proceeded to enumerate to him the various different kinds of viands, and to describe their several excellencies, while his hunger so increased that he longed for a cake of barley bread. The master of the house then said to him, Hast thou tasted anything more delicious than the spices in these dishes? No, O my master, answered my brother. Eat more then, resumed the host, and be not ashamed. I have eaten enough of the meats, replied the guest. So the man of the house called to his attendants to bring the sweets, and they moved their hands about in the air as if they were bringing them. Whereupon the host said to my brother, Eat of this dish, for it is excellent, and of these kataif, by my life I take this one before the syrup runs from it. May I never be deprived of thee, O my master, exclaimed my brother, proceeding to inquire of him respecting the abundance of musk in the kataif. This, answered the host, is my usual custom in my house. They always put for me in each of the kataif a mithkal of musk and a half a mithkal of ambergris. All this time my brother was moving his head and mouth and rolling about his tongue between his cheeks as if he were enjoying the sweets. After this the master of the house called out to his attendants, Bring the dried fruits and again they moved about their hands in the air as though they were doing what he ordered, when he said to my brother, Eat of these almonds, and of these walnuts, and of these raisins, and so on, enumerating the various kinds of dried fruits, and added again, Eat and be not ashamed. O oh, my master, replied my brother, I have had enough, and have not power to eat anything more. But the host rejoined, If thou desire, O my guest, to eat more, and to delight thyself with extraordinary dainties, by Allah, by Allah, remain not hungry. My brother now reflected upon his situation, and upon the manner in which this man was jesting with him, and said within himself, By Allah, I will do to him a deed that shall make him repent before Allah of these actions. The man of the house next said to his attendants, Bring us the wine, and as before, they made the same motions with their hands in the air, as if they were doing what he commanded, after which he pretended to hand to my brother a cup, saying, Take this cup, for it will delight thee. And his guest replied, O my master, this is of thy bounty, and he acted with his hand as though he were drinking it. 
Hath it pleased thee? said the host. Oh, my master, answered my brother, I have never seen anything more delicious than this wine. Drink then, rejoined the master of the house, and may it be attended with benefits and health. And he himself pretended to drink. It has a fine bouquet, said my brother, but I am in the habit of drinking wine that is twenty years old. Then here is the stuff for you, said the host. You will not find any better to drink. My brother thanked him and moved his hand as though he was drinking. Cheers and good health, he said, and the host too pretended to drink. And to hand a second cup to my brother, who, after he had affected to drink it, framed himself intoxicated, and taking his host unawares, raised his hand until the whiteness of his armpit appeared, and struck him such a slap upon the neck that the chamber rang at the blow, and this he followed by a second blow, whereupon the man exclaimed, What is this, thou wildest of the creation? O my master, answered my brother, I am thy slave, whom thou hast graciously admitted into thine abode, and thou hast fed him with thy provisions, and treated him with old wine, and he hath become intoxicated, and committed an outrage upon thee. But thou art of too exalted dignity to be angry with him for his ignorance. He has become drunk and attacked you like a hooligan. As a man of nobility, you will put up with such folly and pardon his fault. When the master of the house heard these words of my brother, he uttered a loud laugh and said to him, Warily, for a long time I have made game of men and jested with all persons accustomed to joking and rudeness, but I have not seen among them any who could endure this trick, nor any who had the sagacity to conform to all my actions except thee. Now, therefore, I pardon thee, and be thou my companion in reality, and never relinquish me. For a long time now I have been making fun of people and playing jokes on my friends, but you are the only man whom I have ever met with the ability and understanding to bear his part with me in all this. Now you have my forgiveness, so join me as my real companion, and never leave me. He then gave orders to bring a number of the dishes above mentioned, and he and my brother ate together to satisfaction, after which they removed to the drinking chamber, where female slaves, like so many moons, sang all kinds of melodies and played on all kinds of musical instruments. There they drank until intoxication overcame them. The master of the house treated my brother as a familiar friend, became greatly attached to him, and clad him with a costly dress, and on the following morning they resumed their feasting and drinking. Thus they continued to live for a period of twenty years. The man then died, and the sultan seized upon his property, together with my brother's possessions, and took possession of it and as a result of this my brother was left poor and powerless. My brother upon this went forth from the city, a fugitive, and upon his way a party of Arabs came upon him, who took him prisoner and brought him to their tribe. 
They made him a captive, and the man who captured him tortured him with beating, and said to him, By Allah, purchase thyself of me by wealth, or I will kill thee. But my brother weeping replied, By Allah, I possess nothing, O Sheikh of the Arabs, nor do I know the meaning of obtaining any property. I am thy captive, and I have fallen into thy hands, and do with me what thou wilt. And immediately the tyrannical Bidawi drew forth from his girdle a broad-bladed knife, such as, if plunged into the neck of the camel, would cut across from one jugular wain to the other, and taking it in his right hand, approached my poor brother, and cut off with it his lips, still urging his demand. Now this Bidawi had a handsome wife who, when he was absent, used to manifest a strong affection for my brother, though he observed a proper decorum towards her, fearing Allah, whose name be exalted. And it happened one day that she had called him and seated him with her. But while they were together, lo, her husband came in upon them, and when he beheld my brother, he exclaimed, Woe to thee, thou base wrench! Dost thou desire now to corrupt my wife? Then drawing his knife, he inflicted upon him another cruel wound, and cut off my brother's penis. After which he mounted him upon a camel, and having cast him upon a mountain, left him there and went his way. Some travellers, however, passed by him, who recognized him. They gave him food and drink, and acquainted me with his case. So I went forth to him and conveyed him back into the city and allowed him a sufficient maintenance. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps, and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary section for this episode. First, let's look at some of the terms that were used in this episode. Al-Naschar, Arabic name meaning the sawyer, a person who saws timber for a living. His name can also be read as Al-Feshahar. The Arabic name meaning foolish, talker, or wain, boaster. Diwan. A long, low sofa without back or arms, typically placed against a wall. Tirewoman. A lady's maid. Reka or rekat. Supplications performed by Muslims as part of the prescribed obligatory prayer known as Salha. Al-Maliha. Arabic name meaning state of being gorgeous or graceful. Vestibule, a passage, hall, or room between the outer door and the interior of a building. Ewer, a vase-shaped pitcher or jug. Basin, an open, usually circular vessel with a sloping or curved side used typically for holding water for washing. Sikhaj, a dish composed of meat, wheat flour, and vinegar. Barley bread, a bread made from barley flour derived from the grain of the barley plant, mentioned in Islamic sources as a food for commoners. Kataif, 
small pancakes or other sweet pastry. Mithal, the weight of a dinar. Bedawi, Arabic name meaning of the desert or an ethnic name for a Bedouin. Now let's look at some of the vocabulary that is used in this episode. Pauper, a very poor person. Essences, the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract, that determines its character. Loveliness, the quality of being very beautiful or attractive. Contemptible, arousing or deserving scorn or provoking scorn or a low standing in any scale of values. Abject, sunk to or existing in a low state or condition, very bad or severe. Haughtiness, blatantly and disdainfully proud, having or showing an attitude of superiority and contempt for people or things perceived to be inferior. Counterance, the face as an indication of mood or emotion or character bearing or expression that offers approval or sanction. Repugnance, the quality or fact of being contradictory or inconsistent or strong dislike, distaste or antagonism. Savor, a distinct quality or a particular flavor or smell. Deprived, marked by deprivation, especially of the necessities of life or of healthful environmental influences. Diffused, not concentrated or localized. Absolution, the washing of one's body or part of it as in religious rites. Supplication, to make humble entreaty or to ask humbly and earnestly of. Beggarly, contemptibly mean, scant, petty or paltry. Misbegotten, unlawfully conceived, having a disreputable or improper origin. Nursing, one that is solicitly cared for. Impurity, something that is impure or makes something else impure. Sprawling, to lie or sit with arms and legs spread out. Staunching, to check or stop the flow of. Malvolient, having, showing, or arising from intense, often vicious, ill will, spite, or hatred. Stratagem, a clearly contrived trick or scheme for gaining an end. Indemnity, security against hurt, loss, or damage, or exception from incurred penalties or liabilities. Befallen, to happen especially as if by fate. Lofty, elevated in character or spirit, or rising to a great height, impressively high. Partake, to take part in or experience something along with others, or to have a portion of food or drink. Viands, an item of food. Morsels, a small piece of food or small quantity. Enumerate, to ascertain the number of or to specify one after another. Magnanimity, 
the loftiness of spirit enabling one to bear trouble calmly, to disdain meanness and pettiness, and to display a noble generosity. Extremity, the farthest or most remote part, section, or point. Jesting, a joking or mocking remark or a frivolous mood or manner. Sagacity, of keen and far-sighted penetration and judgment, or caused by or indicating acute discernment. Relinquish, to withdraw or retreat from, leave behind, or to stop holding physically. Melodies, a sweet or agreeable succession or arrangement of sounds. Decorum, literary and dramatic propriety or property and good taste in conduct or appearance. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day and or night. And may the journeys on which you are set upon be fruitful. Thank you for listening.